1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Nice Tradecast on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by our friends over at Blue Wire on the Rotoviz Radio Network. As was teased uh, last week, oh, I, I guess I will say, we're another week closer to the NFL draft. We're excited about that here in the Nice Tradecast world. Um, only a couple weeks away uh, at this point, so get ready for that, uh, but... For this week, we are missing uh, my partner, Dan Senio. Uh He's hanging out with Mickey Mouse. So I I scheduled a, a, an A-lister guest. Um, I, I, I DM'd him a couple weeks ago, I was no, knowing that Dan would be out. I said, I got to get our friend Jordan McNamara on the podcast. He's a football guy staff and the author of the Analytics of Dynasty 2021 edition, analyticsdynasty.com slash shop, and Dynasty Daily Pods, analyticsdynasty.com. How's it going tonight, Jordan?
3: It's
4: good. I heard you were looking for an A-list guest, and then there was uh, there was you know some they had some power outages, so you got to me. So <laughs> I'm uh, I'm glad to be a service. So I'm glad to be here.
1: For sure, uh, Jordan, you're one of my favorite guys to talk uh, on Twitter because. You and I don't really care as much about specific player values. We care about the game of dynasty. And granted, you do it in a much more like mathematical way. And I do it as like, oh, like this is how I understand ADP and things like that. But we like Dynasty is fun not because of I picked the right player or I made I made, you know, you know, tr- traded wide receiver two for wide receiver three. It's, you know, all the inner workings that create those things. So a lot of the topics that we have today uh, come from your uh, the the I know, the table of contents from the Anox Dynasty 2021 edition and you know kind of go over some you know maybe dynasty myths or things that p- people are misconstrued in the dynasty sphere. So um, I was looking through the topics, and one of the ones that caught my eye first was roster retention. And you can explain what that means after I ramble for a second. I one of, one of my biggest pet peeves in Dynasty early on when I you know started you know building Dynasty teams in the in the early 2010s was that people were like you know um, why should you care what a player does in five years? They probably still won't be on your roster, and that is a huge misnomer because the player doesn't have to be on your roster to be benefiting you. Like if you have 22 year old Justin Jefferson in four years, you can sell him for a haul as 26 year old Justin Jefferson. Whereas you have 26 year old, I don't know how old Stephon Diggs is. You have 27, 28 year old Stefan Diggs, in four years, you won't be able to sell him for anything. So yes, they both could be on your roster for four years and produce similar things, but one will have value to be able to be traded in four years and one won't. So I, I think that the lack of, you know, understanding of trade value, essentially, when you're saying, oh, well, like, he's not going to be on your roster for more than four years, so why should you care what he does in five years?
4: Um, yeah, so I I think there's... So this, this sort of goes down to what I think is one of the... There's there's several key debates in all of Dynasty. and And so for me... Um, You know, I think I think primarily there's three different schools of thought, which is there's a tape, you know, watching the film school of thought. There's an analytics school of thought. So looking at numbers and I think there's the value game. And if you sort of look at them like, uh, you know, like like three legs of a stool, they they all serve a purpose. Right. Sometimes, uh, you know, you might build you know, on one foundation instead of the other, right? Some people might focus on, on, you know, playing a, a value game. Other people are going to look at more of an analytics based, um, you know, or production based type approach. And, and that's what makes the game interesting. I personally spend uh, not a ton of time worrying about future valuation because I don't think we do a particularly good job at it. And so that's one of the things that, you know, for me, and looking at a lot of the data in the book, I think it's a, I I don't think we're particularly good at at predicting it. Um, And I think largely what predicts uh, future valuation will be production. And so, you know, if you're, if you're insulated at 22 years old, you're only insulated for as long as you don't, you're not bad, basically, right? So if you, you know, you can see, you know, and, and you don't have to look back far, you can just look back to the last rookie class and we got it all wrong in terms of the ordering of it. Um, Essentially, you know, at quarterback, we got it. We, we picked the wrong value at wide receiver. We picked the wrong value. Right. And so those things happen all the time. And those, those uh, future valuations, there's patterns to it, but it largely it's random. Uh, The, the chapter on roster retention is fascinating to me because I I agree with you that I don't think you necessarily need a player to be productive for five years for them to still be val- like for them to have served their purpose for you. I agree with that. Um, I think the interesting thing is how much the rosters flip over. So if you just went out a year uh, from you know you picked a starting point, and then you looked a year forward. N- no position saw more than sixty percent retention. Actually, no position saw more than fifty-seven percent retention. The most retained were wide receivers at fifty-seven percent, quarterbacks at fifty-six. I'm uh, running backs at 53 and, tight ends where 47% of them were retained over a year.
1: And um, you're, you're, from re- re- by retention, you're meaning scoring.
4: No, still on your roster after. one. Oh, year.
1: Okay. based on like data you're pulling from, from actual rosters or.
4: Yeah, yeah, and so this is um, this actually the chapter that you picked was uh, was a contributor chapter um, that Chad, my co-host at Football Guys, wrote, um, and he basically he tracked a whole bunch of leagues and just went, you know, basically year over year and analyzed, you know how how often were players still on the same team? When you go out two years, right? We play this long term game. When you go out two years, it, it's about a third of guys are still on the same are still on the roster. So when you just think of that, if that's a you know, if that is a 30-man startup team, that's 10 guys. Right? That's that's not a ton. Um, the the consequent and as you go out, naturally it, there's less and less retention. Um, and that's a that's a. Uh, there's multiple factors to that, right? There's Philip Rivers retires. There's Drew Brees retires. There's you trade. You know, Josh Allen. You know, there's there's different features to why that changes. But I think by and large, when you're trying to predict out five years. It's, it's sometimes can be a, a solution in search of a problem, um, is I think one of the things. And, and I do think, too, that, that the data would really suggest that it matters a lot of how you focus, right? I don't think, and, and one thing that I've seen pretty consistently is in, in the data, um, and this is the third book, the, the third analytics of Dynasty, and I see it in different patterns each year. Um, we spend too much time in the 15th round worrying about the future. Those picks need to be worried about now and you know how they're going to help you now. And I think that's one of the key things about this roster retention rate is we spend too much time on the back end of our rosters worrying about the future when you really need to worry about the present with those picks. So I think that's really the big takeaway from the chapter.
1: Yeah, that that kind of goes hand in hand with uh, Ryan McDowell's original productive struggle article, where and I, I I highly agree with the concept of you spend the early rounds, the first you know ten rounds essentially beefing up the future of your roster. You know, you're getting guys that are going to be valuable for three, four, five years, so you have the long-term potential. But in dynasty, from rounds eleven to twenty-four, there are significant short-term contributors in all of those, you know, in nearly all of those rounds. And so you can find contributors. And like you said, sometimes we will, you know, d- destroy the value of a guy who's still producing points. So there's, there's going to be guys in the 14th, 15th round that yes, they're never going to gain trade value ever again, but they might be producing three, four, three or four, like wide receiver three seasons.
4: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And again, that goes back to the game you want to play. And I do think, I sort of reject the idea of trying to project future market value. Um, And I said that before, I think it's a little bit oversimplifying that. Um, And this can tend to be a theme of (laughs) my books is nothing simple. Um, You know, it it is complex, right? There's a lot of facets to this game and that's what makes it beautiful. Um, But I, I don't try and spend a ton of time predicting market value because I think the market can definitely move in irrational ways. Um, and you know we see the market move really quick in situations it shouldn't, and we see it move really slow in situations it should move fast. And those things are really interesting. Um, so I think trying to predict them are is difficult, but you can see patterns, right? You know that... And, and one of the things I looked at in the book was it basically... It, I looked, I looked at positions, um, you know, basically by age. And I wanted to see, you know, if, if you had um, a running back like in at 23 that produced a top 24 seasonal finish, what does that do to his value? And you compare him to 28 years old. What does that do to his value? And basically what you see is it's, it's really interesting because and then you look at when they don't produce that. Right. So when they what they what happens when they do produce that and the average of what happens when they don't produce that. And they largely mirror each other, but it's a you know, it's it gets a little bit wider, right? So the basically what happens is is when you get to the when you get later on in a player's career, and receiver works a little bit differently, but when you get on in a player's career, they're gonna start dropping in price almost independent of what they do. I think it happens a little bit later than we we think, and I ha- I think it happens at a less steep decline than we think, especially for the guys that hit. I think a lot of the risk on, you know, the, the narrative about guys like Kamara and Zeke falling through the floor and stuff, um, I think that is um, you know, that th- that is much more focused on, you know, them basically flat out whiffing, which is a whole nother story. Uh, I think that's really the concern there, which I, I don't tend to share that concern quite as much. The market might start to fade him in terms of trade value and stuff like that. But I think ultimately, um, you know, we don't see the drop in price that I think concerns everyone. And so, basically, once you get out to like your your later twenties, essentially the price that you pay for a top twenty-four season is a is a is around a round of startup valuation, right? So at, at Kamara's at Kamara's startup cost, if he's a, you know if he's a late first startup cost and he produces a top 24 seasonal finish on average, you would expect him to be about a a late second startup pick next year. So that's kind of the tax that you pay uh, or the price that you pay Uh, receivers. It works a little bit differently. It happens a little bit later. Uh, But those things I think are really interesting in terms of seeing how they move. You see these patterns um, and that can really, you know, I think there's definitely places to go against that. You know, like Julio for example is falling to a spot where I'm probably never going to trade him. Like, Uh, probably going to ride or die with him. And, you know, he's probably going to outproduce whatever his value is for the rest of his career. And that's just something that you have to, that's a different aspect of the game, right? Not every player on your roster needs to be a very sexy, you know, Twitter, uh, Twitter model, right? It can be a highly functional wide receiver in their thirties. Right. And that's kind of, you got to figure out how you weigh that.
1: Yeah, for sure. So from a, like, roster build slash, you know, just trading perspective, so it, it seems that you aren't, you know, and I kind of, I do agree with the fact that we're bad at predicting values. Like, it's just impossible, really. Yeah. Um, but but so when you're looking at a trade, you're not really looking at how much, like, okay, how like, if nothing changes, right, like, basically, you're not making this thought. Like, when I'm making a trade, part of me thinks, okay, how will this trade look? In two years, how will this trade look in three years? And yes, I know there's a slanted view of that to where you know that it's not what the case is. It's like, okay, what is this trade going to look like in six months when you you'll have this sell window, or when what will this trade look like in in twelve months when you have a buy window? So basically, how does the lack of the your roster staying the same impact your day-to-day trading?
4: That's a great question. So uh, one of the things that I wrote in this book was um so I, I, every year i try and incorporate other stuff into my process and that is typically like i spend a lot of time this time of year thinking about co- t- stuff totally independent of of football so it's usually basketball there's some business stuff in there um you know but but basically kind of post nfl draft through like july tends to be a lot of me focusing on other things um and so one of the things that i did last year was I actually i read some business books and you know, a lot of COVID time. And I can't, there's a book um, by Susie Welch, and she wrote a book titled um, 10, 10, 10, 10. And it's 10 minutes, 10 months, 10 years. Basically, you look at your decisions that you make um, and basically how they affect you in 10, in 10 minutes, 10 months, and 10-year increments. I did it two, two, two for Dynasty. So I did two weeks, two months, two years. Um, and, and with that, right, the decisions that I make now, uh, especially in a startup draft, you know, the, 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 my decision in round one is going to drastically impact the positions that I select later, right? The trades that I make, right. If I, if I'm playing for the future and I pivot, right. I know that I sort of have to pivot all throughout my roster, right. As I sort of go along. So I sort of detailed that I So what what I do when I make trades is I'm I'm trying to figure out which aspect I'm trying to attack. Am I trying to attack right now? Am I trying to attack the medium term? Am I trying to attack the long term? Right now, I'm spending a lot of time in the medium term. I'm not per se worried about my week one starting a lineup right now, but I'm worried about sort of roster construction. And so I've made, I've made a bunch of trades where I'm trying to, you know, whether it's not necessarily diversify, but arbitrage guys, find guys that I think are similarly um, productive going forward, and then, you know, trade the spread on them basically. Um, so doing a lot of that, um, I, generally like do, maybe I'll use future valuation as like a tiebreaker when I think it's really close, but, but typically the way I'm, I'm valuing, uh, trades is production profiles, right. Is to try and value like, Hey, what do I think over the next, you know, and in some trades it's the next three weeks, right. And some trades, those are typically in season. Some trades it's over the next five years. You know, one of my favorite questions is, especially when you're making a big trade is am I, am, which side am I going to look back in five years and regret not being on the, on risking, you know, and with Patrick Mahomes, like almost invariably, like I haven't seen a price that's too much to pay for him. Right. Like mm-hmm. there's no trade that I'm going to look back in five years and be like, you know what? I wish I didn't do that. Like it, unless he gets hurt or pulls, you know, Um, a Deshaun Watson on us, like we're going to be on the right side of that one. And so that's a lot about how I think about it. I think it, it matters what you're really trying to accomplish and then trying to figure out sort of how to attack that. Right. If, if you're the, the answer to the question is, is, is defined by what the question is. So what you're trying to accomplish is really the, should be the focus of what it is for me, my focus typically is production. Um, and then secondarily it'll be value, um, and, and trying to sort of shape my roster.
1: All right, so we'll wrap up that, this segment on one more, you know, surrounding what you were just talking about. For me, if I were to, to do this whole like, okay, I'm, I'm focusing on how is it going to affect me in two weeks, in two months, I feel like all of my trades would end up being like, I'm just trying to think of an example, like trading Justin Jefferson for Stefan Diggs in the middle of the year last year or something, you know, basically giving, giving up value in an attempt to gain, you know, incremental value in the present time. So do you find yourself ever like getting a little bit too old on your rosters? Do you find yourself, you know, sacrificing, you know, yes, I understand that you're, you know, skeptical of three, four year value, Mm -hmm. but I I feel like if you're not at least taking it into account, you're going to have like eight wide receivers that are all like 28 and over.
4: Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't think that I don't just view in two weeks, two months. I I do think, I think the, I think the way you think about it, and I should have, I I'm gonna to have to design a graph now that you now that you asked me this question because it's best depicted it on a graph. I think the the at the the high prices for your elite assets, right? For your guys that are in the top of the draft, your high your your um, your high draft picks, right? You should focus them as being that two year, you know, that long term window. I use two years just because it made sense with the the two two two, but that's really talking about long term. Like right? those should be longer term bets. And you really have to think about if you're going to sacrifice that long-term bet for short-term gains. I typically don't do that. I typically don't do that. Um, you know. So, but what I think is I play a lot more of like the mid rounds and the and the two weeks, two months type of you know short-term. You know, what can you help me with? Sort of this year, uh, uh, you know, range of thinking than I do long-term. And what that does, and this is informed sort of by the data. That avoids me taking bad profile bets, right? Because what I'm not doing in that range, you know, in the 12th round, I am very, almost never making the bet of, Hey, this wide receiver is going to be a long-term value because they're not (laughs) right. Like they're just that, that is historically a horrendous bet. So I don't do it. And so that's why I'm focused more on the shorter term in that range of the draft. You know, I wouldn't trade Justin Jefferson. I think Justin Jefferson has the best argument to be wide receiver one for anyone that's, you know, has been in the league for less than three years. You know, that's over DK Metcalf and over AJ Brown. Um, I would put him at two behind Adams right now. Right. So I wouldn't I wouldn't sacrifice him for. For Diggs, um, in your example, right, I would sort of hold him long term, and
1: right, right. Yeah, I, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't saying that was a. No, no, no. I,
4: trade. I get your point. No, I, I totally, and I wasn't. Uh, you know, I, I, got what you were saying in terms of, in terms of your example. Um, with that, with the premium asset, right? That's the one I think you need to. And I try and shift. My goal is to shift short term assets into long term ones, right? I'm trying to shift situational guys into being long term core guys, right? I mean, I detailed in in the book. This is like the Laramie Tunzel thing. This will be the thing that keeps giving to me. I traded, essentially, the short version is, I traded Damian Williams in 2019 for a 2021 first. That turned into being 101 in a two-quarterback league. Uh, that turned into Lawrence, and then I cascaded off that. And I've picked up three more future firsts off of that as a cascade from that deal. Right. That is turning a short-term asset into a long-term windfall. That's really what the goal is. So you're trying to shift short term to long term. And, and and that's really the more the more assets you can get on the long term, that's great. I, I think we need to think about sort of making that transition from short to long.
1: All right, let's move on to tight end premium scoring. Uh, it's long been my belief ever since 1.5 PPR. Has pretty pretty much been become the standard for tight end premium scoring. A lot of the high stakes, you know, FFPC type con, uh, contests have 1.5 PPR for tight ends. It's been my long belief that it is massively overvalued, and that especially during the startup year, that the n- number one time to buy your tight end is in year two. Once everyone's like, well, that really didn't matter that much. So I. Didn't benefit that much from Darren Waller. I didn't benefit that much from Travis Kelsey. So now I should go trade him for a wide receiver that I should have drafted 12 months ago. So I mean, my 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 long belief for tight end premium is definitely fade in year one. And if and if the price doesn't get lower, then I honestly am fine. You know, streaming the tight end nine to tight end nineteen range, um, just because it's much more beneficial than you know paying the price of you know top 24 wide receiver prices for a top three tight end.
4: Yeah, so that so it's really interesting. So you picked another chapter that I did a good job of picking contributors this year, and this is the first time I did <laughs> contributors. You picked another one, so this is you blindly did this, which is which is um, a testament to um, my skills of picking uh, of picking contributors. But Scott Connor, uh, actually from the Dynasty and Chill podcast, actually wrote this, and this is one of those things where I have I sort of long shared your belief, which is that I think the ty- we get sort of over. Uh, we sort of get over our skis in terms of, oh, this is premium, you know, we need to attack the position more. Um, I think, and in, in, if you sort of look at it, right, if it's 1.5 PPR, right, that affects, um you know, tight end one, the same as it affects tight end 20, right? You're all getting that boost. Um, well,
1: it, I mean, there is the, a steeper on, incline the, because it's it happening because, more. Yeah, yeah, because the... Right the the catches are actually happening like and and that's that's the other thing is is that some some top five tight ends get a lot of catches and some top five tight ends are just hogging all the touchdowns so you know like i'm i am a huge tyler eifert guy even Mm. at the peak of tyler eifert he was not a good tight end premium guy because he was getting you know three catches for 40 yards and a touchdown
4: correct correct um i I agree with that when i when i studied it so I initially studied it coming from a little bit different angle than Scott looked at it. Um, I looked at it from how did it affect your sort of wins over replacement. Um, And the wins over replacement is a metric that I, that I created that basically measures can essentially measure any scenario to tell you, you know, how many games this decision will impact essentially, Uh, you know, how many more games will you add in your win column by making this decision? Um, And you can look at players, you can look at um, picks, you can look at, you know, in startup drafts, your roster construction, your trades, all of those things, right? You can measure, you can measure it all in a warp. Um, and so I initially looked at it and what I found in tight end premium is it was like, maybe like the, the premiums juiced up the guys at the top by maybe like a 10th of a win, something like that um, was, was ultimately what the difference was. It didn't seem like a lot. When, when Scott came at it, he came at it from a much different way, which was really interesting. He looked at basically a whole bunch of different scoring settings. And a whole bunch of different roster constructions. And so what his, what his theory is and what his overall premise is, and I, I really agree with this and I sort of take this on, what, what matters with tight end premium is more so than, than um, well, as the premium goes up, those guys tend to become more flex viable as the wide receiver position actually requires more starters, right? So you bump from two wide receivers to three wide receivers, that makes tight end more valuable because, and especially as the premium goes up, because they're much closer to the the replacement level on, or, or in your flex conversation as you boost the points up. So that's one of the things that I, I really stole from the book. And I was he we talked a, a while about what him writing and he ultimately settled on tight end premium and I was like this is great, um, and I I was fortunate because I was editing it, I knew sort of in advance what he was going to say, and so I was able to get in on a couple of drafts and make some trades sort of based on knowing what the data was um, beforehand. So I do think it's it has juiced me up a little bit in terms of I might attack not maybe not necessarily the top tight end, but I'll try and definitely get. Um, you know, up a tier more than I would have, right? So I'm trying to get if I can get in the top six this year, top seven, something, you know, depending on how you break that that down. That Hawkinson, Fant, um, T Andrew's tier is pretty interesting, and then typically I would fade the position for a while. Um, I have come back this year and hit it again, so maybe not necessarily the same tier. If I could, that's great. But if I can sort of get into, you know, the 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 you know the early teens so or the late you know the late single digits so that that um you know Evan Ingram you know is in that tier you know Goddard uh, is in that tier like that type of range and then I'll try and hit another top twenty guy right so if I can get three top twenty guys that probably boosts it where in prior years I would have been much more in the one to two top twenty guys where now I'm trying to strive for three of them that's really the adjustment that I've that I've made based on the data.
1: Now, one more specific topic about the tight end position um, is Matthew Barry uh, was participating in a, a, a pre-draft rookie draft where Kyle Pitts went 101 in a Superflex tight end premium. Um, obviously, I think that's going to happen this offseason, but the fact that Matthew Barry tweeted it out and basically he asked, like, who's crazy? like, is it crazy? Like, basically, his question was, pitts or lawrence and the voting was nearly 50 50 now i think that's very evident that a large portion of matthew barry's followers a don't play dynasty b don't play dynasty superflex and c don't play dynasty superflex titan dream so i it wasn't exactly an educated audience but what are your thoughts on just the general public you know what, what they're thinking of pitts here they pretty much in my view they're pricing Pitts at his ceiling before taking a snap, and I, I have, you know, been bitten in the in the butt previously by, you know, doing the whole he hasn't played a snap, you know, Saquon Barkley hasn't played a snap, Todd Gurley right. when he came in hasn't played a snap, but we're basically pricing Kyle Pitts as the tight end one overall, and he hasn't played a snap,
4: which is a terrible bet, right? Like <laughs> I, you know, I was talking to somebody um, the other, I was just talking to a friend the other night, just had a casual conversation, and you know, we we're just discussing the, if if you sort of ranked the positions that are the hardest to transition to the NFL, uh, the first one would be quarter in terms of the skill position. The first one would be quarterback, right? I think you, you have a lot of, you know, we've seen, we've seen a lot of top 10 guys fail and it's just cause it's hard. Um, and I think the next one is tight end and it might be, the skill, it's just tough to sort of get to, right. It's a, it's a tough, right. You're, you're asked to do a lot block, you know, all that stuff. I also think the usage is hard, right. So it, it can be tough to get them the ball. Right. And I think that's a, we've seen that with guys that are constantly underused, Um, you know, Evan Ingram right now, you know, I, I think he's being chronically misused. Um, And, you know, that's just, that's, I think a facet of the position. So I think just projecting Kyle Pitts to be, you know, this, this, um, you know, otherworldly player, I think is, is expecting, is asking too much. There's virtually no doubt in my mind, uh, going back to 2000 and um, 2008. And this just is start one quarterback data. So since that time, there has been six guys, six tight ends that have gone in the first round of rookie drafts. And, you know, I'll just read you the names and you tell me what you think. Hawkinson, Ebron, Kobe Fleener, OJ Howard, Noah Fant, Tyler Eifert. It, it hasn't been something we've been particularly good at, right? No. So so now. but also he, all,
1: all those guys, I'm pretty sure unless I missed a name, all those guys were NFL first round picks, which is what causes them to, to be, you know, highly drafted in the dynasty sphere.
4: Correct. Um I think Fleener just missed. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I so think he Flinger was thirty. Win. Yeah, he went thirty early second. Um, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So he, so, um, so yeah, I mean, so uh, when you look at this, I think there's almost, and, and I don't think the class is particularly good when you look at the non quarterback skill position. So uh, this is going to make Pitts the most expensive tight end ever. I have a question and concern of ever doing that. Right. I mean, that's kind of the argument that I have against Lawrence right now. You're going to take a guy who's never played a snap in the NFL in the first round of a startup draft, like that's a horrendous bet, (laughs) you know, like there's no, there's no safety in that. There's a ton of risk. Um, And so that's the question I have, you know, can you go from Pitts to Hawkinson plus, right? Like over the next two years, like I have a hard time seeing how Pitts wins that deal. Now, ultimately could, could that change? You know, we'll see. But um, you know, that's, that's, I think the question you have to have, is it necessarily, you know, does he warrant a top three pick, right? He might, he might in this class, you know. Would I take him or Chase? Right. I think that's an interesting debate, uh, you know. But, but would I rather have Hawkinson plus? Yes. <laughs> like that's, that's, I think, the pivot that I would make. Well,
1: sure. And then, and, and assuming you're taking pits with the 102, 103, it's just not, it's not just Hawkinson plus. It's probably like Hawkinson plus a 2022 first or yes, Hawkinson right. plus, like, you know, basically something that's worth the equivalent of a first.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, at that point, and you know, we we're talking earlier, what's my strategy. Like that's, that's my strategy, right. Is arbitraging yeah. those two players. I mean, uh, you know, you take the guy, I mean, Hockinson's on a really good path to start his career in terms of, you know, the injuries have bitten him a little bit, but you look at the guys that are kind of early breakouts, like they tend to be pretty good at tight end. Um, and he's cleared the threshold of can he play? Right. He, he hasn't, he, he sort of rules out the, he's going to vomit on himself type of profile. Um so, yeah, so that's the thing with, with Pitts. Like, you know, uh, could you, you know, I was asked, you know, could you uh, justify him right behind Lawrence? Like, I don't know, it's going to be tough to not take Najee Harris over Kyle Pitts, right? Just with what we know about the positions, right? Knowing nothing else, like, it's tough to go tight end over a running back in that spot, especially if, if Harris is going to be a first-round guy. Um, you know, could you sort of make the argument that Pitts belongs over Chase? Like, I, can, I could dabble in that. You know we can and we can talk. We'll see how some of the quarterback stuff situ- situates itself. But could you see him as high as justifiably as high as 103? Yeah, I think so. Um, would I do that? Probably not. But that's more strategic than it is. Where does he belong? If that answers yeah. your question.
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that too. All right. So uh, before we head into the rest of our talk, let's hear about ourselves, Roto Viz.
3: Hey everybody, this is Dave Cabin from the Rotoviz flagship podcast, just stopping by to say thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. We're offering our listeners a special 10% discount when they use the promo code RVRadio2021 at
0: checkout. Again. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. That's
3: 10% off a one year subscription when you use the promo code RVRadio2021. Thanks for listening and keep on tuning in.
1: That's right. Get yourself a RotoViz subscription, RVRadio2021. Also, um, it's not in the ad copy, but I want to let you guys know the FFPC now has RotoViz TriFlex Dynasty Leagues. These things are going to be the next big thing. Uh, if you aren't, if you if you like to play on the FFPC, if you like Dynasty, you need to get involved with the RotoViz triflex. That's a free one, Curtis. I, I you gotta get involved.
3: <laughs> Look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded. The best golfers sometimes three putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you come up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to getroman.com slash now. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A US licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication's appropriate, it ships to you free with two day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to getroman.com/rotoviz and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to getroman.com/rotoviz now to get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. Getroman.com/rotoviz. Get started now to save $15 on your first month of treatment.
1: All right, now let's go through the next few topics and then we'll cover the AYA app. How important, and we kind of just went over with, with Pitts a little bit, and when we, talk, we talked about it to start the show, how important or not important is player analysis in your mind? Like, how, how much is it just the game? How much is it picking the right guys? And I know that picking the right guys is like a, a bad word on Twitter. that Like, you can't possibly say that. But w- what's your current view of player analysis and how it impacts your dynasty game?
4: It's a great question. Um, I, I strive to look at player profiles and I spend a lot of time talking about player profiles and and analyzing player profiles and looking for successful profiles. And then I look at, you know, what are those who reflects those profiles Right. And that is different than trying to say, all right, who, you know, who do I like better, uh, you know, um, Hawkinson or Fant, right? You know, or who do I like better, you know, trying to pick between the two. I come at it from the all right, who reflects the good profile. And then that'll sort of be that's going to be my guiding principle. And what I'm trying to do is select as many profiles as I possibly can that are good. You know, so I I look at you know, and there's some really interesting data in this class. Like the the odds for um, it, this year, for example, the odds that that Miles Sanders actually produces like a top 12 seasonal finish are really remote. His priors are not good. Uh, in terms of guys that have missed you know two years with his pedigree to produce a top 12 seasonal finish, usually by year two, those guys have either done it or they're not going to do it. So when you comp him to a guy, for example, that's going a lot later than him, David Montgomery, there is a profile that has done it uh, and seems to be discounted. Right. So those are the things that I'm really looking for uh, in, in terms of that. You know, another one that I look at and and I was off of him and now I'm back on him. And it's funny, I, I tend to be skeptical and then I see these patterns all the time where I'm skeptical of a player. The player actually produces better than I expect. But less than the market expects. He actually drops in price, and now I'm sort of on the buy side of him, right? And that's Clyde Edwards Alaire. You know, he he gets on the board with the top 24 seasonal finish. When you look at those guys, about 45% of them uh, produce uh, three straight or three more uh, top 24 seasonal finishes uh, in the next three years, right? So basically hit three more times right in a row. Um, That's a that's a really lucrative profile. You know, Jacobs was on that track after year one. He's still on that track. His his actually bumps up to, you know, knowing what you know now with two hits through two years, he's he's up a percentage point. So 46 percent of the time that profile hits three more straight times. Right. <laughs> so if you basically conditioned on the fact that, you know, the guys hit twice as a first round running back. of them hit five straight times to start their career. That's an incredible profile and probably being underdrafted right now. So that's a lot of what I look at. And so I have a couple of ways to do that. You know, one of them is looking at base rates, which is essentially, you know, looking for what, um, you know, players that haven't broken out yet or haven't hit for a top 24 seasonal finish. You know, if they're running backs or receivers, I use a top 12 seasonal finish for uh, quarterbacks and tight ends. You know, if you're not there, Uh, we sort of know historically what what your odds are generally and then we can sort of adjust from them and those are your base rates once you hit it puts you on a different trajectory and that's um, a a density right and that's how dense once you hit how dense is the hit Um, and that's sort of the the Clyde Edwards-Alaire-Josh Jacobs track like that's a really dense hit uh, when you look at it so those looking at those profiles and sort of being aggressive both attacking the profiles and then being aggressive in the profile too So like one of the things right now that I'm thinking about is like, I really like uh, Jonathan Taylor. He was my, um, maybe my second or third most drafted rookie last year. Um, You know, he was my 101 in all formats. And, you know, so I took him in a fair amount of spots. Are there ways to pivot off of that right now? You know, and and what could you get, you know, can you get Swift plus plus, right? Can you do those sorts of things? I think those things are really interesting because again, that's the, they, their patterns look a lot alike, right? The the initial hit, the same pedigree, really good profiles coming in and now they're trading at a significantly uh, different price. I think that trying to attack those things makes a lot of sense. So that's a lot about how I try and play those situations.
1: That's definitely interesting. All right. So now let's get into another section of your book. And that is trade calculators. I, this is an interesting topic. I, I don't know if you uh, follow Dan Myler on Twitter, but he recently created a league called the dynasty day trading, where it is a league where your trade partner is the DLF trade, trade analyzer analyzer. So I'm going to use have all your information from this to try and win that league because <laughs> Dan and I are co-owning that one and we're not off to a hot start. Um, but Anyways, trade calculators, not in crazy leagues where the trade calculator is your trade partner. (laughs) Uh, Number one, don't ever send a screenshot of a trade calculator, whether it's Dynasty Trade Analyzer, the Dynasty Trade Calculator. Uh, I wrote of this, had one a few years ago. Like, no matter what service you're using, it's never a good idea to say, hey, you're winning it based on this trade calculator. You should click accept. Like. And that's just another another form of like you know the comment section like this is why this move is so great for you. We always talk about how that's a terrible idea. Um, so how are you using trade calculators? No matter you know what side it is, how are you using trade calculators in your game?
4: That's a phenomenal example. Also, also you- if you
1: say if you say someone else wrote this chapter, I'm leaving. No, no, <laughs> this is actually
4: mine. This is mine. This is a pet peeve of
1: mine. So you got you hit me right on the number.
4: Um, I think the I I love. To sort of your point is so good about don't send the uh, don't send the image of the trade calculator because my go to tactic, right? The most important thing for me in any trade negotiation is to get information. I want the other person to give me free information, right? So that's why I love trade offers that come into me. Um, I'm constantly trying to figure out if this doesn't make sense to me, why? Why doesn't this make sense to me? And how can I sort of exploit that? right? Um, I, and I had some examples in the book where, you know, I just asked someone after Saquon Barkley blew out his knee last year, I just asked, what do you want? You know, what's, what's your cost? Mm-hmm. And he asked for a first and a third. And I assume that that meant a first and a third startup pick. <laughs> um, it was a first and a third rookie pick. Uh, and I would have never in a million years offered that, right? So I think the information that you can get from those trade offers or just from talking. And especially if someone's sending you a picture of a trade calculator, that's invaluable because you know what they value, you know what they're subscribing to, you know what they're thinking about, and you can spin that back on them, right? You know, who's got this? Who can craft me a trade that makes sense? That's a win for me based on what this person's going to value. That's that's an incredible leak. I mean, it's basically like showing your cards at a poker table. It's a huge error. Don't do it. Um, and if someone does it, like welcome it with open arms and figure out a way to spin it back to you. Um, I think the the, the caution and I, the, what I wrote about trade calculators, I think you got to be really careful because it can very much be like reading cliff notes. Um, it can very much be like you know, just studying for the answer to the test. Um, and what's dangerous in that is you're not practicing your, your actual dynasty skills. Um, w- number one, if you could become too reliant on it and number two, you don't know what the values mean, right? So it, you know, you could line up six different trade calculators and if you interviewed people and i this might be a project to actually work on in the summer, they might be valuing different things, right? So you know, one trade calculator, calculator might be valuing it in the way that I look at the world, which is future production. You know, what's your odds of future production? Another might be trying to predict, you know, might be just solely based right now on what the market value is. That's a, to- that's a totally different way of looking at the market uh, of players. You know, equally valid uh, way of doing it, but that's t- a totally different thing. Um, another could be looking at trying to predict future valuation. Right. Another can be waiting, uh, you know, production, but they're doing it in a in a in a much different way. You know, they're they're incorporating um, a lot of college production after, you know, the person's been in, um, you know, the NFL for four years. And at that point, you really should deweight college production. You know, so all of these things you don't it's a black box and no one's going to tell you sort of how they come up with the data because they don't want you to steal it. Um, and you, so you're, you're left to sort of try and figure out, well, what's the trade calculator actually calculating? And that's one of the things that I'm uh, that I have a lot of concern with it, it, uh, with people using them is, you know, they, they're fine as sort of a guidepost, but I don't want to get um, reliant on them because they can be a black box. You know, Chad Parsons, my host at football, my co-host at football guys says UTH trade calculator. Like, I don't know exactly what goes in it but I know sort of what it's grading for. Um, so with that one, like I have a good idea with some of the other ones that are out there and this isn't a knock on them. I just don't know what's coming out of them or, you know, what's going into them and what are they grading for?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certainly, some, some of them seem like, okay, these are the three writers at this site and they rank and their are ranking spit out this number basically. Right. Well, while, while there's others that, that, the the DLS journal trade analyzer it it takes from MFL data, it takes from their rankings lists. It, it you not know, in obviously each site divulges, you know, however much they want to divulge about how their calculator comes to be. But, you know, there is no perfect like, okay, this is how a trade calculator should be created because we don't right. have that answer.
4: Well, and that's the answer that you ultimately have to do, right? I mean, that's that's a value judgment, right? That is a that is what you care about. You know, do you care about future valuation? You're trying to pick that, right? Are you trying? Do you care about the right now? You know, you sort of have to balance that. So, I do think they're helpful in terms of you know setting guardrails. But I I what I wrote is you should be cautious about using them unless you really know what you're sort of what you're getting. And, um, you know, what you're sort of trying to achieve, right? Because it can't tell you that, you know, and like Deshaun Watson right now, like there's no trade calculator that can, that can price in the problems, right? That is entirely a a personal judgment that you have to make, right? About how, what you risk, what you care about, Um, you know, what type of, you know, what upside bet are you willing to make at what cost, right? That's absolutely that. And that's a lot of the thing with these things is. Uh, and I t- I try to take asymmetric bets I try to take huge payoffs at low costs and I think when I sort of look at that um, I don't think trade calculators are aimed at that you know what I mean they're aimed at a little bit different uh, trying to capture different things so that's one of the things with it I think you gotta, just have to be careful in terms of uh, how uh, you know what what you're trying to achieve with them same thing with rankings right so people might be ranking for for totally different things. And I think that that's a really interesting way in terms of what you're trying to get from someone's rankings and what they're trying to rank. A lot of times they won't match up.
1: Yeah, that's definitely interesting. And honestly, from, from the basis of what trade calculators are, for the most part, created for, it's for people that don't spend, you know, 20 plus hours a week strategizing Dynasty. They're people who Hey, like, am I getting ripped off here? Or, hey, am I ripping someone else off here? Like, in a good way. Um, So a lot of it is just, like, getting a basis of, like, okay, how close or not close is this deal? And that's kind of how I, you know, see trade analyzers and trade calculators as a use for. Now, let's go into the AYA app conversation. Uh, Jordan, you're the first one to have one of these conversations that isn't an active Rotovis writer. So um, (laughs) I'm excited for this because I – Obviously, when I ask an active Rotoviz writer what's your favorite tool, I know they'll have a tool to use. And I <laughs> but when with you, I wasn't really sure if you would have an answer. And then when you had an answer that we haven't covered yet, I was excited. And then I logged into the site, checked out the app, and um, I, I think this is a good one to to talk about. So what what and I, I always preface it this way: you're talking to someone who you know has been playing Dynasty for few years, has been, you know, playing with the Rotoviz apps. How how do you use the AYA app, and how do you think that someone you know can someone else should or could use the AYA app?
4: Yeah, so that's a great question. So I am a former Rotoviz writer. So yeah. I uh, I came from I broke in winning a writing contest at Rotoviz. That's how I first started writing fantasy football content. Um, and so yeah, this is a this is sort of a welcome home. Uh, For me, at least, you know, I've been here before, but it's always uh, nostalgic when I when I come on uh, when I come on your show, because this is Mm -hmm. back where I where I first began. For me, the AYA app, uh, it's real. So AYA is adjusted yards per attempt. And and basically that is uh, uh, basically yards per attempt for a quarterback. And then it's adjusted for for touchdowns right it gives a boost for touchdowns uh and it subtracts for um interceptions right um and and that's basically it so it spits out a number that is uh is is that right it's your yards per attempt and then it's adjusted a little bit for for touchdowns and interceptions basically you need to be a little bit better than two to one touchdown interception ratio to sort of be on the positive side of you know of your uh yards per attempt number is essentially it and so it's a really good m- metric for, uh, for, for analyzing um, quarterbacks and receivers. So one of the things that, that consistently pops up, and this time of year it's popped up a lot, which is Carson Wentz and Sam Darnold. The, the case to defend them is primarily centered around, hey, they didn't have good supporting casts. Well, we can actually look at that and, and say, okay, maybe that's true. But let's look at who they did have, and then let's look at how they produced with them. So, for example, you go into Sam Darnold's, uh, you go, you, or you use, um, I use Carson Wentz for this particular example. You know, you go in and you look at sort of who he's thrown to, right? And you sort of look at and you say, all right, here's the guys that he's thrown a lot of targets to, uh, and it'll show you who the, who the, what their AYA is. Um, you know, he's thrown a ton of his targets to uh, uh, Zach Ertz. You know, um, like that's that's up there uh, with the most uh, Elshon Jeffrey. He's thrown um, 255 targets to um, uh, Aguilar's th- uh, actually second with 269. So what you do is you can take it and you can look and say, all right, well, how do these guys do with other people? And I think that's the really the interesting thing is you can say on one hand, once uh, didn't have great supporting cast. But then you can say, all right, well, with the supporting cast he had, what did he do? And so Jordan Matthews is one of the big ones. When you sort of look at the Jordan Matthews, uh, the Jordan Matthews chart on the AYA app, you can sort of go and see, you know, who he who his best people were. You know, significantly better. uh, You know, his AYA with Mark Sanchez was twelve point five. His AYA with Sam Bradford was eight point two seven. His AYA with Carson Wentz seven point seven. Uh, and and Foles was much worse. So you sort of can look at that and say, all right, well, he he underperformed those other guys. Then you look at Nelson Aguilar, Nelson Aguilar, 11.72 with Derek Carr. That was a match made in heaven. Nick Foles, 8.69. Carson Wentz, 6.57. Right. And so you sort of look at these and all of a sudden it sort of paints you a picture of a much more neutral um, perspective. Another one is Tory Smith had a good chunk of of uh, attempts with a lot of different quarterbacks. Uh, Kaepernick was his best, 8.96. Flacco 8.39, and then Carson Wentz 7.33. So he's uh, more than a yard and a half worse than Kyle and Kaepernick when targeting Tory Smith. That that paints a certain picture of he's constantly at the bottom of these guys. So maybe in the aggregate he didn't have the greatest supporting cast in the world, but he underperformed what the, what else they had done in the rest of their career.
1: Well. The, the my one question to that would then be: Doesn't the quality of the offensive line and the quality of coaching impact that as well? And this is trying to build a case for not hating Carson Wentz by yeah. by saying that.
4: That, yeah. No, yeah, I, I get it. Um, I, I think the argument that Carson Wentz has been hurt by his offensive line is a bad one um, because throughout his entire career, up until I believe it was this year, he had never had an offensive line worse than 12th in uh, PFFs rating. So he's consistently had one of the better offensive lines. Um, when you look at him versus Nick Foles, uh, Nick Foles outproduced him. Uh, so when you sort of say like, hey, he had a bad situation or all these things, right? Um, That didn't appear to be true for a lot of things. Um, you know, he's constantly underperformed in key metrics. Um, I, you know, we could sort of go on about Carson Wentz. This isn't meant to be sort of a Carson Wentz thing. But when you look at all the data, there's little to suggest uh, that he is not been. Uh, I, I don't think there's a there's a case to be made for him that he's that some of the situation stuff has hurt him. I think when you take a real look at it, you you. Uh, have to be pretty I am pretty pessimistic when I sort of look at that uh, because I don't think that the offensive line stuff has actually hurt him in any way especially early on his career Um, this year it was not as great but again he held on to the ball way too long so uh, this is like the Russell Wilson's got a shitty offensive line argument like he doesn't he holds on to the ball way too long and gets himself sacked so that's a little bit of it with Carson Wentz too um I would say, and and Darnold has this thing too, um, where where you can sort of look at these and these patterns, of, uh, you know, repeat themselves. You know, I want a sample of some guys, right? So you do have to be careful of just saying, oh, look, there's one guy, and you know, he he went here, and oh, he, this guy's clearly bad. When when there's four or five or six guys that have played with the quarterback and have a good sample with multiple other guys, that's when I think you can really look at it and build a case to to say, listen. Wentz has probably underperformed a situation. So, and that has implications, right? Now I can sort of say, you know, how does that impact Michael Pittman? How does that impact, you know, Jonathan Taylor? How does that impact other key guys on teams he's going to? Because I think all that stuff, right, you, you, it much more becomes a web than it does become just a, hey, let's look at the one year situation in Philly and here's why he's disappointed.
1: But I will say that, you know, looking into this over the last few minutes, I think this is more of a wide receiver app than it is a quarterback app because you you can you can type in these wide receivers and you can see how they're performing with other you know quarterbacks, but also like the the one of the ones that we when you said the Carson Wentz one, I know it's a relatively small sample, but at the top of uh, of Carson Wentz with a minimum of fifty targets is Travis Fulgham, Mm -hmm. like, and that makes me think like. Did we give up on Travis Fulgham too quickly? He he's literally the best wide receiver with a minimum of fifty-one targets that Carson Wentz has ever had. You know, obviously, yeah. I know that you need a larger sample size than fifty-six targets in order to really pull something from this, but you can definitely use this as a way of you know trying to buy low on a guy when he's like, oh wow, this guy, yes, this guy had a port, uh, this guy's quarterback had a bad year, but his best receiver was this guy who's being drafted as a round twenty-two startup pick.
4: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I, so I think it's great. And, and, and especially when you can sort of balance it too, right? You can see how guys did with other, with other guys and that can sort of separate it out. You know, you look at some of the Derek Carr stuff and it's illuminating, right? I mean, it's like, wow, like Derek, Derek Carr is probably under pre like his, we could have a, we could do 45 minutes on Derek Carr. Um, That's a whole different um, episode. We We might need a series on that, but this data can really help you. I think, it's not going to give you all the answers, and that's the thing with analytics. There's a there's a quote from Bob Myers, who's the pre, who was um, the general manager of Golden State, and it's the first words that appear in the analytics of Dynasty. It says, "Analytics are a lot like a bikini. They show you a lot, but they don't show you everything." And this is sort of the key when you look at this data, um, and especially this. You know, you're playing ranges of outcomes, right? You, there isn't a clear answer to this stuff. You're playing ranges of outcomes and trying to increase your edge. And this is a tool I use to do it with. You know, and, and I think with the analytics of dynasty, that's, that's what we aim is. That's what our aim is.
1: All righty. That should wrap us up for this evening. Uh, Jordan, any last words before we head out?
4: Yeah, you can go get the book at analyticsofdynasty.com. Uh, the 2021 edition's available over there. Um, and uh, there's a bundle, actually. I think the best way to consume Analytics of Dynasty 2021 is to read it in conjunction with the 2020 edition. Um, so you can get both of them over there for 50 bucks. Uh, and there'll be a code uh, RV. It'll give you 10% off uh, the books. And if, it'll give you 10% off the membership to the website too. Um, and that is, um, you know, with the with the website, I'm doing a Dynasty Daily podcast. So I do a podcast every day. A lot of draft coverage right now. I've got the uh, Analytics of Dynasty Trade Finder. Where we uh, the trade database, where we go through and look at um, it's over six thousand leagues, uh, and it'll give you returns on uh, on trades uh, for all different players. You can search multiple players in the same trades, which is great. Uh, you can search picks, all of it. Um, it. It gives you a lot of flexibility to try and identify values on players. And then we have our real draft position, which tracks real drafts and tells you sort of where the market's moving, um, and uh, that'll uh, change during the middle of the month too. So you're not just uh, you know, beholden to the, to the ADP that starts at the beginning of the month, right? This is constantly moving, uh, cause it's, it's taking in drafts that are going on every day. So, um, so yeah, you can find all that analytics of Dynasty.com, Um, and yeah, like I said, uh, use the code RV, uh, the coupon code will get you 10% off, uh, either the membership or, uh, the books.
1: All righty, that's some pretty cool stuff. We appreciate you hopping on, Jordan, dropping some Dynasty knowledge as usual. And I'm guessing we'll talk to you next year. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds good.
1: All right. All right. Kado!